Episode 26 of The Passive Hang. Remember, if you haven't already, check out thepassivehang.com where I'm building it up to be a resource for all you crazy movement enthusiasts. I've started with the Library of Locomotion, which features tips and tutorials on movements to get you started with that locomotion practice. Check it out now, thepassivehang.com. Thanks, guys, for um, checking in once again. This is episode 20, 26 now of The Passive Hang, and I've got Anthony Tran on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Hello. Uh, it's, it's cool to be here. This is, this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, Anthony, you're a coach who resides over in Perth. Uh, yeah, personally, I've been following you for, for a bit of a while, you know, just... Uh, getting into all this sort of movement culture stuff. And I saw that you were quite an active practitioner. So I was like, Oh, you know, who is this guy doing this thing? Um, all this stuff. And the, I know recently as well, it's been like quite interesting in your journey. Uh, I think like you, you had a spinal accident as well. That looked pretty intense. <laughs> uh, yeah. I had recently during a circus performance in February, I took a four meter four. Ouch. Like what, sort of happened there it's like something broke or let go of something <laughs> so i was in this specific act i was on the rope on a cord release uh, aerial apparatus so i was around four meters in the air i went through a specific movement i forgot to place my hands correctly mm. couldn't grab the rope and i fell head shoulder first ah and this is like in the middle of the performance, so... Yeah, like, it was. It was about three quarters of the way through. It was, during a, it was during a specific scene that seemed like the fall was a part of the act. So <laughs> from what I've been told, it, people didn't know how to react. Everyone thought, oh, maybe this is a part of the show. But when I was on the floor, not moving, I think most people knew something happened. Yeah, like what happens then? Does the show just stop, or like you did you manage to somehow like walk yourself off the stage? <laughs> I'm trying to imagine <laughs> what, what what happened. Yeah. <laughs> so in the end, I did receive some serious injuries. I fractured four vertebrae. Okay. Yeah. So I fell. My partner in the show, she at the point in time does has a back turned to me, so she turns around. She sees me on the floor. She's not too sure what's happening everyone's a little bit uncertain and then one person kind of starts standing up we had a uh, one of our helpers kind of rush on stage first and then from there the crowd people certain, certain people came onto this onto the stage to help out uh the tent managers that did their thing so it was just it kind of happened organically everyone just figured out what to do. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like yeah, afterwards and then, you know, receiving like the, you know, when you find out that your spine is broken as well after, you know, we, we put so much emphasis on the spine and saying that like once your spine is gone, that's it. Um, yeah. How has that been? How has it been that journey so far? Like, cause I've, I've sort of seen your progress. You, you seem to be back to almost performing like a lot of the things that you enjoy doing. So how has, how has it been going from yeah that that point in time when you had the fracture to to now yeah i don't remember much from the night when i think back to it i had certain memories and apparently i had a lot i 
quite a bit of short-term memory loss during the event. Hmm. It's been seven months now, and I would say my body's returned back to 95%, 90%, and I, I'm trying to do things post-injury. So I'm testing a lot of movements and a lot of different application of the of the body and it seems to be doing pretty well mm. and yeah. has that um has it changed your approach to anything within your training no if anything i've been highly motivated since that <laughs> event yeah and i'm not sure that was uh, i think it was accumulative the injury happened covid happened all the restrictions happened and I couldn't work as well. I couldn't train. Mm. So when things start to slowly open back up, it just kept giving me a bit more momentum. And now I'm feeling great. I'm feeling very positive about everything. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of like you, you had this built up hunger, right? And then it just keeps on building, building. And then when your body sort of gives you back, back that capability, it's like, you know, you've got all that energy stored up to, to unleash. Yeah. I've, I've been annoyingly hyped over here yeah so very excited about everything yeah so you know currently at the moment um you know what's what what does your day-to-day sort of look like what what do you normally do at the moment so i've this is probably the busiest period of my life in the last couple of years i'm doing a lot of i'm a personal trainer by trade so that's been busier especially people seem to be wanting those sessions so i am pretty packed out there. I also started online coaching as part of the COVID restrictions. It was a good time to get started. And that's also been picking up. So I've been trying to learn the tricks of the trade there, getting that more efficient, uh, picking up more online students, Mm -hmm. and also getting back into training. That's pretty much my day to day. It's work as a PT, train when I can, on the computer, doing my online coaching. Mm, So pretty deep into it as uh, yeah practitioner student like um teaching as well yeah so uh with uh your involvement with um the the movement side of things and like i guess movement culture maybe do you want to take us through like your journey into how, how did you find movement how did, how did you get started so when i was 18 19 i was in the gym pretty typical just doing five by five i found mark ripito mm-hmm. and from there I came across gymnastic bodies. I met a friend who was also into gymnastic bodies. And then from here, from him, he told me about Edo Botao. Uh, and I remember reading Edo's work and I was like, oh man, this is, this is so lame. No one wants to do this. You know, I'm just going to train three times a week. I do that thing. Uh, and I kept looking, I, I kept coming back to him and reading his stuff and it started to make more, more and more sense. Mm-hmm. So eventually he had a camp in 2013 in Singapore. And it was, and because it was so close, I was like, oh, you know what? I'll just go try. Mm-hmm. So I went to that camp and then 2014 onwards, I just went deep into the Ida Portal training. Uh, I did online coaching for five years with him and he's a very important figure in how I developed as both a practitioner, as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was with him for five years and then the last couple of years decided to try and do my own thing. Okay. So are you, do you currently have a teacher at the moment or you're mostly self-directed? Yes, I would say at the moment self-directed. I'm trying to interact more with other individuals who train at a high level. I try and meet 
circus performers where I can. I try and meet dancers where I can. Mm -hmm. uh, trade ideas. At the moment, it's a bit more difficult because of the restrictions. Mm -hmm. But I would say last couple of years, much more self-directed. Mm. It's pretty funny how you mentioned at the start when you first came across Edo, you kind of <laughs> laughed it off, but then somehow got got sucked into that world. Um, yeah, I mean, at that time as well, you know, I, were you normally like quite a curious person in, in terms of like searching for something else? Because I guess, you know, the Edo, even the gymnastics body stuff, you know, for a lot of people, like that's not quite so mainstream. So do you always did you always have an attraction of wondering, okay, like what else you could do with the body or searching for like more interesting areas? I would say as part of my personality and part of my trait, I am attention seeking. So as a young age, I always tried to be a little bit different, whether intentionally or I just tried to subconsciously get people to pay attention to me. So, I think following Edo stuff, I just knew there was something different about it and it made sense to me. And when I get interested in something that I really like, I, I love to share it. Mm. So as I got deeper into that stuff, it only made sense for me to start teaching people as well or start to share this information. And that's how I also developed my teaching side. Mm -hmm. So the teaching sort of came on a little bit later when you were deeper into the practicing then then you started going okay like maybe i can start making like a career out of this and becoming a teacher as well i was always about sharing what i loved hmm. so even when i was younger doing anything drawing dancing uh, playing basketball i always liked to try and do it with someone or share that with someone mm -hmm. and i think as a process of process of trying to share the information better it made me focus on how i share that information and i think that's what attracted me to edo stuff initially is how he broke down what he taught hmm. and it kind of just blew my mind like, oh my god there's such there is a smarter way to teach people or there is you can really focus on how you teach people Hmm. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, a really interesting question was, was like, how was that process like with Edo? You know, you said you spent five years. That's like a pretty good amount of time. Like, how did the training look like from, you know, when you first started to how it sort of progressed? So my first experience with him was the movement camp in, in Singapore. And that was much more face-to-face, -face, obviously more workshop orientated. The most of our trained I had with him was via online coaching. Mm -hmm. And I would say this was the most substantial change in how I moved and how I performed is that I would receive the programming, I would record, send through for feedback and then apply feedback. And that was the most important thing to have someone with a critical eye telling me my mistakes, giving me correct cues, allowing me to focus on what I need to focus on. And sometimes it's difficult when you're training yourself you can't see those mistakes. It's always mm. easier to make progress when you have an objective eye. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think being like self-directed and like even like programming for yourself is something I, I really struggle with. But then, you know, if you even look back at your videos, it takes like some while for you also to develop some sort of eye for going like, oh, I'm not doing that right. Like, especially if you don't have that knowledge. 
yeah so i always find that that teaches i to be really really critical but um you know from that period what would you say maybe some of the most like powerful lessons that you learned um during that during that period so from the programming and just progressing with my own movements you start to understand the let's say progressions or possible approaches to developing a certain skill so a lot of the information I got from training with them was fantastic in helping me understand how to develop those specific skills and trying to share that with other people. And oh, that's, that's another thing. The reason I love to share, to share what I do was that it was one of the better ways to learn for myself. So as I was learning something, if I could share it, mm. it just helped me understand that specific subject further. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, um, that's something that I, like hold dear to my heart as well is like the quicker you can somehow find a way to share it. It it does something with your mind, right? It it makes you understand it in a different way as opposed to just practicing the thing. Yeah, correct. Because you understand in one way from one person, but when you try to apply it to another person's experience, to the vocabulary, to what they know, if you really do understand it, you will have to find a way that works for them. Mm. And that's interesting. I like that idea of problem solving. When so working with someone and putting these pieces together, it's very exciting when someone comes in brand new, you don't know anything about them and they're struggling, but you still had to try and organize it so that they can understand it as they need. Mm-hmm. So like, who were you sharing with, uh, this with at, at that time? So you were already starting to adopt like through your, your PT or saying like you, you're a teacher or just with uh, yes. your peers? So at this point in time, I was already a personal trainer and <laughs> so it was trying to just introduce all these different elements into my personal training sessions. Mm. I was teaching group classes at a studio called the airspace. They teach, let's say body weight orientated movements. So I was teaching ring strength classes, handstand classes. Uh, and I started my first set of grounding classes there as well. My ground movement classes. So I was just sharing it with, uh, anyone that wanted to learn from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a really exciting time, right? When you start adopting that hat and and sharing it, like as part of your practice, I've always found that really, really exciting. Yeah, I think I was 20, 23. I was just young, had lots of energy. Mm-hmm. So I was working ridiculous hours, had great energy, didn't sleep that much and still managed to make progress. So it was, yeah. a, it was a good time. <laughs> and how about now? Like, how do you describe what you teach? Like if someone comes across to you and goes, you know, like, what do you do? How do you put that into words? So I try to help people achieve what achieve their physical goals. So because I've collected so much information and experience over the last how many years, I try to apply whatever necessary tools I have so that they can work towards what they want to achieve. Okay. Whether this could be more mobility, more strength work, whether it's moving better on the floor. So I try and meet the person at where they want to be met. And I try to help them the best I can. And what are you normally finding they're asking for in terms of goals when they, when they come to you? As a personal trainer, it's, I'm working with an older demographic at my gym. So they just pretty much want mobility. They want strength work. They want longevity and to be our pain most of the time. 
Hmm. My online coaching, this is more towards bodyweight movements, gymnastics skills, handstands, groundwork, soft acrobatics, uh, and developing more so that side of, I guess, my movement experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a bit of a range of what people want. It's, it's been fun because, you know, I'm helping an older person get down to a squat or I'm helping this younger person develop these, his spine and his acrobatic goals. Yeah, I love this, right? Because, you know, just going on your page as well, like, I guess you just share parts of like your own personal practice, right? Which is like, um, is is quite expansive, but it's great to hear that, you know, you're using these like powerful tools as well to help not only just those sort of those practitioners, but also like say that elder demographic as well, who just needs maybe like that extra bit of mobility that's going to make a big difference in their life. Yeah. When I was younger, when I first started either, I tried to jam everything that I was doing, my own goals and aspirations as the clientele's goals and aspirations. Mm. Uh, and that wasn't the smartest thing to do because again, you're not really working towards what they want or what they need. So as I've gotten older and wiser, let's say, I know that not everything I can do for myself is the smartest for another person. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the um, biggest challenge for a lot of uh, people who get really deep into a certain practice, right? Especially if you want to share it, you have to also remember that you know the the other person kind of have their own sort of motivations and goals. And, you know, you're so far deep down the rabbit hole that what you're doing probably doesn't apply to them at all. Right. Yeah. No, it's sometimes it's easy to forget the tribulations and the challenges I had to go through to do certain things. Mm. So to bring yourself back to a beginner level is always a challenging experience. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you use this term of like, uh, I guess, label like movement or like you're a movement teacher and what you do is movement or do you sort of describe in, in different, different, uh, different language? I don't, yeah, I prefer not to call myself a movement teacher or movement coach. It's always been a vague term, a very general term. And I feel any person can hide behind it same movement but do another thing yeah. most of the time i see i'm a movement teacher but it's just mobility it's handstands or i'm a movement teacher it does a bit of acrobatics on the side it's the the word means a lot of different things in different contexts hmm. so for hmm. me i just like to, to call myself yeah i actually don't call, I, I don't i don't really introduce myself as a teacher almost i just say i this is what i do i like to share it Mm, nice I, I like that yeah it that that term sometimes becomes yeah pretty hard to explain or a bit of a loaded term i think um these days so uh, i think so i think a movement teacher yeah when you say when i say movement teacher in my head i i don't know what i mean <laughs> yeah but where is if, I, if i'm just a guy sharing what i'm passionate about that makes more sense to me mm, mm. i think that's a probably more truthful representation as well right um, it's just like, yeah, uh, wholeheartedly. I think a lot of people have, when they say movement, one person can think one thing and another can think another, another thing. And so I, it's almost too vague too almost not honest about what you do when you say you're a movement coach. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel anyway. Mm. 
And with your practice at the moment, like, I guess, uh, what are you sort of um, searching for within your practice? Like what sort of keeps you going with this, uh, with this expansive practice? So the last couple of years, I've been very interested in trying to deepen my groundwork. So more into the soft acrobatic, into my dance, into circus performance. That's where I've been heading more towards. Mm-hmm. I started dappling in circus maybe a couple of years into training with Edo. And it was always more a, a hobby, a side passion. But then I really started getting into it because it allows you to really apply all the skill development and test it in a different scenario. Mm. So I've been really looking into that. Just recently, because of the injury, there's been no chances to perform, but I'm looking forward to getting back to it. I'm looking forward to getting back onto the stage. Yeah, so with this sort of performing, like what type of performance is this? So right now, mostly I would classify it as circus performance. Uh, the last show, the show I fell in, was a two-person show with my partner. Just 45 minutes of us being uh, being us on stage, trying to do, uh, oh, it was called Five. It was a show about our five years of, sorry, five years into a long-term relationship. And we were trying to express that through dance and circus. Awesome. And um, yeah, it's a like sort of what happens when you when you prepare for this performance like i am guessing like it's a mix of all these skills that you've um gathered throughout the years right like so yeah like how how do you sort of practice um for does does your practice change in preparation for a performance yeah i would say it's deeper because there needs to be a concept and this concept needs to be applied through how you move and, and why you move. So I would say most of the time when I was training, it was to develop a certain skill, but I never really applied that skill in another way. For example, let's say the sh- my concept was about, I'm going to use something like heartbreak. How can I change my movements to display this quality about heartbreak? How can I tell a story with mm-hmm. my movement? So it's a different process because you need to uh, attack it. You need to play with it. It's a bit of trial and error. It changes, it evolves. It requires brainstorming. It requires feedback. It's always hands-on playing with that one thing. Hmm. Whereas when you do, let's say, movement training, it's one I would almost say one dimensional. Yeah, it's a different, it's definitely, I won't, I, I don't want to use the word shallow, but it's just not as deep as when you are about to perform. Mm. Or we want to, you want to invoke these certain emotions or reactions from the crowd and the audience. So is it almost like, yeah, this other sort of side of training, you're kind of trying to develop like a certain attribute or skill within the body, but then within the performance, you're, you're trying to, it express your body, right? And get the other people to feel through how you're moving in your body. Yeah, trying to express an idea, trying to tell a story. It's very different to watching someone just do a handstand as they practice or do it, or they are on stage performing this handstand and why they're doing the handstand and mm. 
trying to invoke feeling from that handstand. Mm. Yeah. And with your performance, like, is a lot of the material like pre-prepared and choreographed or is it improvised? How does it run? So definitely organized, uh, definitely pre-organized, pre-choreographed. I am not at a level to improvise. <laughs> I've done one show that was, had a little bit of improvisation in there and that was just a little bit of dancing as the main people do their thing in the air. Hmm. But most of the time it's pre-choreographed. Yeah. Uh, for me, it has to be right now. <laughs> uh, I'm just, yeah. It's, it's very high level stuff when you're improvising on the stage. Yeah, because I guess, you know, everyone knows about this famous Edo saying, right? Isolate, integrate, improvise. And that improvisation is the, the, the highest sort of form. Um, but pra- in practicalities, getting to improvisation, what's been your experience in terms of yeah, ex- expressing that, that level of improvisation? Improvisation is incredibly hard. It's a very difficult I think it's very difficult to be good at. I think it requires a lot of practice in itself. So not only do you need to practice integration, you need to always have time, make time to also practice improv. Mm. I find that most, the thing that you are what you do. So whatever you do the most, I have found that you will always go back to those movements. Mm. So it's interesting to, Let's, for example, say, watch a new person come into class. I have a warm-up and it might include improv. And they are very awkward. They're not too sure because they don't have much experience to work with. But let's say I've been teaching someone for about a year. I can immediately see the material I've taught them in that year within their improv. Mm. Yeah. So to be truly free, and I don't, and I don't think that even exists, but to seem to have the illusion that you're free you have to have a tremendous amount of volume of practicing crazy amounts of volume of sorry crazy amounts of movements and different scenarios and applying them differently so when you instruct say like a class to you know have this practice improv what's the sort of task or instruction that that you tell them yeah Depending on the class, depending on what I'm trying to do, it could be a variety of things. But for example, I could say, imagine someone's holding your hips and they're guiding you through the space. Really visualize your partner trying to twist, lift, pull, push. And this also creates a creative element challenge for them. So if you've never been experienced to that type of improv, it's very awkward, it's very reserved. But someone who's practiced that multiple times, they can really start to visualize that invisible partner. Mm-hmm. So I think by invoking these, this type of imagery, I, it helps a lot. And I believe this is more of a, you find this more in the dancing, uh, dancing disciplines, mm-hmm. where they use these emotive and expressive ideas to help you move differently. Mm. And how important do you, uh, do you play... Uh, do you find, I guess, practicing for improv, like do you put it on similar sort of levels that uh, as, uh, as people go along that we should be making room for this type of practice? I wouldn't put it on the priority list. I think most people need to figure out what they want. And if they want to have an, a practice that's open, by all means, but really figure out your goals and work towards those. If it's towards improv, that makes sense. 
Mm. But if it's towards certain skills, then you need to go for the skills. I think it's important to be exposed at some point in life to improv. And generally, we most, most people are when they're children because they get to play, right? Mm. So I like the idea that adults should be exposed to play in their life. But depending on what they want, I don't think it's necessarily a priority. Mm. Yeah, because even hearing, I guess, like that, that task that you were saying, right? Um, I can... I almost like Im- uh, imagine myself like uh, walking into a class of yours and being tasked by that. And that's something like I haven't really ever done. And uh, I would feel like, ah, oh, like, yeah, <laughs> how would I start just letting myself into that task? Right. And not feeling awkward. Like, yeah, it feels like very challenging. Mm. I appreciate the idea of, I really do appreciate the idea of introducing people to the concept of improv, to the concept of play. But if it's too much of your focus, you don't develop, a, develop anything that's deep. Hmm. I think most high-level practitioners who, who, who reach an improv level, they've been practicing integrating drilling for years on years. Hmm. And so, that's when you get to see the beautiful stuff, the beautiful improv. But when you chase it too soon, there's not much to work with. Yeah, it's like you... So what you're saying, you, you kind of have to follow this other route of like more structure and then putting in that time. And then afterwards, then you really can start releasing the chains and then letting yourself go into this improv sort of work. Whereas if you were not to do that side and just keep on practicing improv, then you kind of might get stuck. Yes. I think it takes a lot more time than people are willing to, uh, are willing to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so with like this groundwork, um, you know, is, is, is this what you sort of term to include areas such as like, you know, the locomotion stuff, floor work, acrobatics, or yeah, what's your sort of uh, take or definition of this area? So when I teach, I, can't, I simplify things, groundwork as locomotion, like you've already said, which is hands and feet touching the floor. It's a very simple way to look at it. Uh, in, and then floor work is when I'm touching the floor with all parts of my body. And then soft acrobatics are more specific or technical skill work involving arching of the spine. Mm. So I usually separate into those three categories. So when I teach groundwork, it could include any of those. Ah, nice. And with um, these three areas, you know, when you introduce these sort of topics, um, do you try and look for a certain level of physical development within people before you start introducing it to them or... Yeah, like, do you, do you think people need to reach a certain level before they should dive into these areas? No, not necessarily. I've, from teaching my classes, a more, more mobile person, for example, may not necessarily learn the skill easier. Some people understand the coordination, the timing, or they access that earlier than some other, than others. Hmm. Uh, Mobility, yes, is also sometimes a way to unlock or can make certain moves easier. Having fearlessness can always also help. So I find it's actually, yeah, it depends on the individual. Mm. Yeah. I don't know until I meet the person. And again, it comes back to the idea of uh, really individualizing the process for that person. Mm. 
how, how does that sort of look when you're in a class context and you're addressing maybe like a, a range of people who might be at, you know, different bodies, different, different difficulty levels. How, how do you sort of uh, meet each person at their own level? So in a group scenario, I would, let's say, teach a certain movement. It looks a certain way. I demonstrate it and I would divide the class into two groups if it's that obvious. Otherwise, I usually partner up everyone and I'll just, I'll just run around and try and give feedback and eyes on to every person in the room. Mm. And that's the best way to do it. If one tactic or one strategy doesn't work, I'll change the vocabulary. I'll change the cues. I will touch them if I need to, or I'll re-demonstrate, or I'll try and use more verbal uh, or be more articulate in what I'm describing. Mm-hmm. So many different strategies depending on the person. Mm. And for these three areas, you know, that, that you outlined, um, locomotion, floor work and acrobatics, you know, for introducing this to, to people, are there like certain like foundational movements that you prefer that uh, get people started within these areas? No, I find the interesting thing is I find even if you have certain movements, it doesn't necessarily mean you have the experience to apply this into another scenario. Mm. So let's say two people come in, one has a cartwheel, one doesn't have a cartwheel. I try, I'm trying to teach a specific movement. Person A keeps on doing a cartwheel, but person B is able to do the movement because they don't have a cartwheel. <laughs> yeah, right? that's really interesting. Mm. So sometimes it's about trying to learn or unlearn an old pattern and try and force a new pattern. Some people have trouble with that. So that's also something to consider. Yeah, it's kind of like you get um, stuck in, an, in, in a habit, right? And then you keep on doing that sort of unconsciously, even though you're trying to do something else. Yeah. When, when they are in the, let's say, they're, they're panicking, they're trying to keep up with everyone, they just go back to the old habits. So sometimes it's about slowing down, telling them what to do, really pointing out that they're not doing the actual action that's being requested. And that's where straightforward feedback is helpful as well. Mm-hmm. And are there any sort of like um, really important ideas or concepts that you try to explain or you try and get people to understand at a more deeper level to uh, when, they're, when they're doing these movements? So I generally teach skills and movements with the idea of a reference. So I may teach something, break it down, for example, and teach them a certain body shape. And I say, this is your reference point. And this was taught, this was first initiated in my head from Ido. He gave me that, he always spoke about the idea of reference points. So if I'm teaching, let's say, a makaku, Mm-hmm. a monkey flip we go through a certain shape and i'm saying always pass through the shape always fulfill the shape always recognize that you pass through the shape and it gives these people and it gives students the chance to recognize am i passing through this required shape mm. do i fulfill the shape to connect the rest of the movement i like that so you're kind of like teaching them this certain position first and then so they become aware of that and then during that more dynamic phase then they're kind of searching for this this position yeah and i think that's very obvious in other learning fields when or whenever you learn anything 
for example, you recognize letters and then eventually you recognize a word and you recognize the letters within the word and you can just say the word, right? Hmm. So that's how I approach teaching a lot of my movements and skills. Mm-hmm. And do you sort of separate each of these areas or do you kind of see them all coming together and they're, they're just like the one, the one thing? So when I split this, when I split the groundwork into those three subjects, it's very simple. It's just how I have categorized them, but I don't think they're necessarily, uh, they, they, I don't think they necessarily have to be in that, those categories. I think the lines can be blurred quite easily mm. because I haven't even included upright dancing or dancing itself. Mm. Yeah. So, sorry, what was the question? It was, um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember as well. Uh, it was um, whether you see them as, as, as separate sort of areas or just like one, yeah. one in the same. Sorry, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think, no, they're not really separate areas. They can be blurred. Mm, mm. and i like the idea that they are all the same Mm. and i want to move sorry i just want to move away that you can't tell yeah 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 Uh, and when um uh, when you're teaching this to to all your students like what do you see as like sort of like common struggles or mistakes that a lot of people make when approaching these these subject areas people rush a lot they watch me do the specific movement. They listen to the specific cues and then it disappears and they do something else. Or they don't listen or they aren't present right at the correct moment and they just miss that critical piece. Mm-hmm. But in saying that, sometimes I find if I'm teaching something slow and they always try and reiterate it slow, then the students also do the movement slow. And that's also a problem sometimes. Okay. So it's like they're, they're either like something over mimic, over mimicking or they just that, that one part is, do you think that's a, a bit of a gap in communication from yourself to, to them? Or that's like more on the student side with the way that they perceive things that uh, they've just missed that. Oh, both. I think it's a, a gap in their experience, in their actual physical experience. They don't know how to do it or they don't recognize they're not doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's also me in not knowing or not seeing that they didn't have that information. So it comes back to me trying to reorganize it so that they can apply it better. Mm-hmm. And how did you find that process for yourself? Like when you were doing all the online training and uh, was was it sort of similar as well? Like you, you were shown something and then you, you just tried to replicate it or how, how did that process sort of work? Yeah. So most of the time you were given some video references and you would replicate it and the feedback will come through giving you specific things to work on. Mm-hmm. So I've always been one to try things. So that was quite an easy process. I think for a lot of people, sometimes they don't recognize that when they're copying something, there's actually, they're not doing it quite correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's part of the learning process as well. When you're just trying something for, for the first time, you don't, you don't have that awareness, right. Of seeing things in a certain way. Right. Because this is like just the, the, the first time. Yeah. What sometimes I think one of the more difficult situations is when someone requires me to keep, telling them what to do 
whereas they haven't actually tried it yet. Mm-hmm. And when they, can, when they try it, I can give, it's actually easier for me to give them the correct feedback or to give them something they can try and modify. Mm-hmm. Right. So if someone hasn't tried the movement, I can't really tell them what the problem is. And did you mean that in terms of like, <clears throat> they just haven't attempted it or they're, they're stopping themselves before they, they do it? Yes, what correct. Do you mean exactly. It? They haven't attempted it. They're stopping themselves. They're saying, hey, uh, can you show me this again? I show them. And then they keep asking me to show them again. It's a bit of a slower process, whereas I try to get them to do it with me. And that, that kind of breaks that down sometimes. Mm-hmm. Say, say someone was to come to, yeah, to like a, a Anthony Tran sort of class, like how does that structure sort of run? You know, like what is there sort of a, a format that you like that you step people through? So very general structure of a class. I have a warm up where I teach more, let's say dance concepts. It can be spinal waves. It can be spine circles. It might be a bit of improv just to warm up. Then it goes into a specific series of movements that I want to teach. From there, it can go into integration. And at the end, I could then might, we might just work on one bigger skill for the class. Mm. Yeah. So every month I have a project and every class will visit this project and I will progress trying to achieve the final goal in the last couple of sessions. Okay. And so this sort of idea of the project, like what, what could the subject look like? Well, how do you sort of define that? So generally my projects are more skill oriented. So for this month example, I am teaching the Meilua Hayes. I think I pronounced that correct. And this is just a um, capoeira movement uh, or kick on the floor. And I would then spend the next couple of weeks building up towards the final kick or final arching movement. Mm. Yeah. And, and um, do you sort of uh, expect everyone to like hit a certain competency or is it like strictly every month then you'll just refresh and move on to the next thing? Yeah, generally I will move on to the next thing. I'll revisit sometimes in a couple of months, but I'd like to expose people to different movements, mm-hmm. to a different process because these things require repetition. Yeah. So I spend a month allowing them to giving them this repetition and they will get to a certain level. Not all, not everyone will achieve it. Not, and some people will get it obviously, or when, mm. uh, sorry, we'll be able to get it. So again, depending on my class, I just have to structure it so that my main goal is everyone's progressing towards it at least. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. I, fi- I find this concept of pr- project work to be really interesting, especially in like personal practice as well. Like, do you use the same sort of frame? Do you say like, oh, I'm working on a certain project as well? And if so, is that also like within a month sort of time? Or when do you stop working towards a certain project? Yeah, okay. So I definitely have themes in my own training. So right now I'm trying to focus on a bit more breakdancing. Trying to anyway. It's very, <laughs> it's very hard. Uh, it's very hard when... All I've done is slow things and breakdancing is much quicker than my pace. Uh, so that's what I'm currently working on. And I don't necessarily give myself a timeline. I keep working with it until I feel something's achieving or if I'm plateauing, then I just re- I'll just re-evaluate. Mm-hmm. So that's like quite a bit broader than just like specific movement, right? Like if you're 
focusing and trying to explore like the the world of breakdancing because I guess like that could just keep on going on for infinite right as well if, if you really wanted yeah. to yeah it really could so I just kind of play with it these days I'm more about exploring the idea and seeing where I can go hmm. within a certain timeline and if I'm not making progress this is the hardest thing just to be, re- be able to recognize when I need help or when I need to change things hmm. And what about this uh, idea of like skill maintenance, you know, like, cause um, you know, you, you move on from one thing to another and uh, how do you sort of maintain like the things that you've already learned? I find so far, most of the things I have picked up uh, are still hanging around. It's not too difficult. I don't hand bounce as much these days. Mm-hmm. And that used to be almost every day back a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's maintained itself as well. I feel, yeah, most of the skill set I've developed <coughs> hasn't necessarily uh, been too hard to keep around. But I know, I recognize as I get older, things will disappear. And I, I think people will just have to get, people just have to get comfortable with the idea that things will fade away. Mm. I think yeah. that's an important point, right? Because, yeah, especially when you're in the, development stage of the skill you know it means so much to you emotionally that after you achieve it as well you're like i never want to give this up like for me like handstand like you busted your balls to make the handstand you, ne- you never want that to 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 go away right it's almost a bit scary to really say i'm gonna have like a handstand holiday and and break from it because you know all that work from before right yeah so that's something that can be hard well, I mean, most people I meet, they're always wanting this one thing. Uh, I, there's this one uh, person I know, and they've been chasing the muscle up for like five years. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know how to break. And every time I hear the story, I'm like, oh, that, that still hasn't changed. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, and it's one thing to admire the tenacity of chasing this one thing for years. But then I also respect the ability to just ask yourself, do I really want this? Do I need this anymore? What does it prove? Mm -hmm. I'm happy to move on this, this movement, this thing, this practice doesn't make me. I I like that frame. Yeah. Like stepping outside, like zooming out a little bit as well, because yeah, I do agree. Sometimes you can get like so laser focused on a certain thing and then kind of blow it up within your mind. Right. To make it seem like, Oh, it's, it's everything. But you know, there, there is so many other things that you can be working on as well that could probably give you the same amount of joy if, if you choose to let it. Yeah, it's, an, it's important to have laser focus. I, I don't want to, to discourage anyone from chasing the one thing. Hmm. I also think it's important to be able to let go, to be able to ask yourself question, the, the hard questions like, do I need this anymore? Why am I doing this? Is it habit? Is it what I want? Is it who I want to be? Mm. A lot of people just get caught up chasing, chasing, chasing. Mm. And I'm not sure that's so healthy for them in the long run. And was there anything that you recognized, you know, within your own practice, which you were like, okay, like I'm going to drop that. I'm going to walk away from. Let's see. Um, Nothing on the top of my head. 
I, there are things I've been disinterested in and I could easily let go of, right? Uh, like object manipulation, uh, that, that, that stuff sucks. <laughs> it's like learning and getting better is always fun. I yeah. love that. I love getting better at things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was just never interested in that material. So that was easy to let go, for example. <laughs> yeah. Ring work was funny enough. Like I loved my ring work as well. Mm-hmm. And I was, I think for a couple of years, I was like, in my little community, I was the rings guy. Mm-hmm. But even then, that was easy to let go of. Yeah. So I think I've always been more interested in just improving. And as long as I'm improving, that, that's enough to satisfy me. Mm. Yeah. And say with those sort of areas, like, you know, when you're getting the coaching as well, um, were these like things or areas that you sort of had to do, or did you also have like a bit of choice over the domains that you were interested in to pursue them a bit more? The one, the, I'm not sure the better, I'm not sure the greatest thing or, but I think it was a good thing about the online coaching was I didn't have the choice to make those decisions. It was always given to me. I was always dictated what to do. Mm. And in saying that, that allowed me, that exposed me to all these different movements and different ideas. Mm. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. 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 I guess um, it's sort of like this, this curriculum, because if you just, um, if you just kept on pursuing the things that you, that you liked as well, maybe it would, yeah, it wouldn't be as broad as all this experience that you've, you've had before. Um, One thing, one thing I wanted to ask about was, uh, yeah, about finding like personal style within maybe let's use like this topic of, of groundwork, right? Because, you know, there's various ways that you can perform a, a movement, right? Within, within a certain sort of boundary, like, I guess, where, what's the sort of instruction that you give to your, your students when you kind of go, when do you look to mimic and when do you sort of look to be a little bit looser and go, okay, like it can be d- done in a different sort of way? Yeah, when I teach, I try and encourage them to take the overall feeling away from it, the overall coordination from it. But I try not to stylize anyone. I try not to change anyone's specific quality of movement. It's when you teach things to a, such a fine detail, I think that's too much. I am more so about I, would, I like the idea that you find your own way of moving. Mm. Yeah. It's difficult because I guess I've always taught very, in a very bare bones way. I, don't, I haven't really taught strong concepts where you explore different movement qualities. And I think that's when you can really explore style. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's just the way you move. So I think if I were to expose my students to more of these ideas, then they can really find something that works for them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a difficult subject. I haven't really, I haven't really come up or really discussed it before. Actually, I've always taught the movements as they are, and I'm not too picky about the finer details because that's just making them copy me. I, I'd rather them just move within their own way. Mm. Yeah, I find it, that, that it's an interesting part because um, 
especially with maybe like this uh locomotion stuff that comes comes on you sort of see other people sort of doing doing it and you know you're all kind of copying each other in some way with this sort of mimic cry um and then it's like at one point yeah when when do you start letting go of that as well to try and maybe develop your own movement or your own way of performing that movement instead of maybe what's the other way to describe it like technical excellency if if that's like a thing for for a certain movement i mean if the end goal is to improv i think you should have the ability to change how it looks hmm. understand that you need to copy and mimic this will help you learn or this will help certain people learn quicker and it's easier for them to learn but at some point if you really want this illusion of freedom you had to get comfortable with the idea of doing it differently mm. and playing with it. A lot of the locomotion that I see is, uh, I would even describe my own material as monotonous. It's very one pace where in the last couple, the last year or so, I've always really tried to, uh, let's say change the texture of how I move. It's, it's no longer on trying not to be so one dimensional, one tone, one speed. Mm. That's what makes, that's what makes the amazing dancers so interesting. They have the ability to add these different flavors and uh, expressions in how they move. Mm. But like what we were discussing before with like uh, going through the steps of, you know, the foundational and putting in that work, do you think like you have to put in this, this monotony and this practice to get like that sort of core understanding before then you can move into this, like adding these extra layers of flavor. Yeah, it's, I think there needs to be a practice for both at that point in time. Mm -hmm. You need to have those drills. You need to be drilled in certain movement. You need to learn the basic coordinations, but then I believe you have to expose yourself to different systems multiple systems to find what feels good for you mm -hmm. right so if all i've done is this one specific locomotion that's how i'm going to move because that's all i know but if i do a few more systems let's say i do hip-hop or i do break dancing and i pick up the grooves from them maybe i can take something from there that feels good for me and add that into my locomotion mm -hmm. i like that yeah so i like it's like the idea of exposing yourself to many different systems to create that illusion of freedom, to create that illusion of choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like, I like that. Um, you, you went through a little bit about how you, you like to run a class. Um, do, does that differ when you take like a, a workshop? Um, you know, I'm guessing like the, the people that comes come to a, a workshop are a little bit different as well, but um, what do you normally like to present in the contents of a, of, of a workshop? So workshops are my current next goal. I would love to run a lot more. They, I've, done, I've done one so far in Brisbane. Workshops are much more challenging because, again, you have people of different varying levels and you don't have experience or relationship with them. So it requires you to be much more quick on your feet and almost a bit more vague with what you want to present. Mm -hmm. So I'm still, I'm still new to that area and I'd like to experience more. But I would, again, try and... Because you want to teach something that's worth taking away, right? Mm. 
So what did you yeah. end up choosing to present, say, in that workshop that, that you did? So it was a three-hour workshop, and I was a three. <laughs> it was a three-hour workshop, and I planned. In hindsight, I planned six hours, nine hours of material for that workshop. <laughs> yeah, because you can go so deep in one thing, you can really go into it. The energy rises, and you just have to keep going with that energy. Mm-hmm. So I ended up. It was um, it was disappointing, and it was a learning experience. It taught me that I just needed to be a bit more realistic, and with my planning and with, what, and with what, I, what I teach and being much more specific with the goals I want people to achieve within that workshop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's a really challenging environment, right? Because yeah, as you said, like within the three hours, you got to like form this relationship with like each, each and every person, find them where they're at and then still like impart those learnings that you want to teach to, to all of them. And then, they're all coming from different backgrounds as well. So it must, yeah, it must be very, very challenging. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really am about delivering a good learning experience. I get very angry at myself when I know I could taught better or I could have done certain things better. Mm. I've had moments, I've had classes where I didn't plan for and they're the worst. They make me feel terrible. Yeah. I walk away and like, Oh, what was that? That didn't make any sense. So I try my best to make sure that the class is planned and I'm, giving my students value yeah yeah so say with like that workshop was there like any sort of key concepts as well that you were like really trying to impart on them um and like what sort of vehicle did you use for for that like was it a particular movement or task that you got them to do so within that workshop i taught a series of movements to create a small system Mm -hmm. that was the first half of it and the second half i tried to teach specific arching elements uh, and then get, I didn't get very deep with that. I didn't, I tried to share ideas about prepping the spine, warm-ups, uh, connecting movements, but I didn't get so far into that. So that's, that's how I use, that's how I approach that workshop. Mm. Yeah. And, and with, um, you know, like acrobatics and arching of the spine, I guess, you know, one thing that always comes to mind with that is that there's this huge fear element, right? Like um, with going over backwards or, like doing doing that sort of jump, which sort of puts you at a certain level of sometimes perceived risk. How do you normally like deal with this sort of like fear management within yourself and your students? So the acrobatic material that I do myself, they're not so dangerous. They're not the crazy stuff that you can see online. If you scroll deep enough in Instagram, there's some crazy shit out there. (laughs) I find I enjoy what the, the acrobatics I teach because I can break it down so easily. It's actually quite accessible compared to the hard acrobatics. So I like to say soft acrobatics that involves more gradual transitional weight, whereas the hard acrobatics are jumping, requires power, requires dynamics. And I'm not a very, uh, let's say my, my vertical jump is not very good <laughs> and my power is not very good. So that stuff is actually difficult for me as well. Hmm. I like that. So you, so you find almost like the soft acrobatics lends itself to like uh, a strong process that you can break down to then teach for, for others. Yes. Again, it comes back to the idea that I can teach it well. I love teaching well. I love sharing information well. It's very satisfying to have someone come in and then they can leave with a, with a very obvious and tangible goal achieved. That's mm. very satisfying. Mm. Yeah. 
So with the fear, with the fear management of that soft acrobatic material, it's not too bad because I can really provide a safe process for that. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, with, uh, I guess, you know, the, with the level that you've, um, it got, got to with, with your training. I'm sure like um, most people, when they see your page as well, it's kind of like, wow, you know, you can do like a lot of stuff. Like where do you also try and get maybe your students, maybe like your online students to recognize in terms of going, okay, if they wanted to get to like your sort of level or, or that sort of certain type of level, how could they, what, what should they be prepared to do and how could they set themselves up for, for succeeding to that, to get to that level? So one of the things I teach and I share when I do groundwork uh, via online coaching is I create little systems and I encourage them to try and look for these systems and look for, again, coming back to the idea of reference points. Do they recognize any reference points? And I like to make the joke about seeing the matrix because when you do certain movements enough and you see specific specific cues of specific patterns, you start to recognize this when you watch other people move or watch other dancers and acrobats. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the really, uh, let's say, rewarding things I learned when I, did, when I received online coaching was being able to understand the cues and being able to see that when other people performed them or other people did the same movements. So I, w- I try to encourage them to be, to recognize these moments, these references. Yeah. It's kind of like you're building up this um, vocabulary list that you're, it's like the language, right? That you're, you're going, Oh, you know, you've learned this word or this sort of uh, way of saying, and then now you're recognizing that w- with others. Right. And I'm guessing from there yeah. th- that after you reach a certain it's almost like critical mass, then you can really start speaking and it starts getting easier, right? Once you've reached this certain level of, of building blocks, maybe um, that's a better way of putting it. Yeah, that's it. Trying to encourage them to also look at the process and understand it. Because I, I believe there, is definitely, there are definitely people who just receive feedback, apply the feedback, but don't really think about it. Mm. But one of the things I loved about my time with Edo was understanding, again, that process towards that final element or final piece or final movement. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you said about like people not really uh, just taking it at a certain level and not like questioning a little bit more. Like um, how do you try and help people like understand or um, ask better questions in your role uh, as the teacher? So I would say it's, it's more evidence in people who want to teach. People who want to teach, they are much more active in asking these questions. Mm. People who just want to learn, who just have a hobby, who have an enthusiasm about it, they're, they're not so keen to learn about the process. So for example, in my class, I don't teach teachers. I teach people who just want to do cool shit mm-hmm. or move a bit differently. So I'm a little bit more blatant about it. Oh, we did this because... Look at this. It's in this shape. Oh, shit. Or, hey, we warmed up our spine so that we can do more arching. It's mm. much more latent when I teach like in those classes. Yeah, so it's like you have to almost, yeah, like 
make the education like so in their face so they make the connections between the two uh, rather than the other way which is maybe someone always looking out for where are the connections between all the work that we're doing right yeah and yeah exactly and remember i used to when i when I attended either's workshops and he broke down certain things i used to sit there like oh and my brain blown like oh that's how you can teach it and sometimes i see that in people attending my classes they're like oh it goes to go like this and it's it's actually hilarious it's actually really funny to watch their facial expressions halfway <laughs> in class you see like the eyebrows raise it's awesome <laughs> i guess those are like well it's different types of students right and i think that that sort of like more invested student as well is always a joy to to teach as, as the teacher right so but that also goes back to this frame that i'm also starting to again yeah really appreciate which is yeah if you just um if you try to approach it with this role of teaching, I, I do think it just helps with that learning process a lot better, right? Because then you're, you're seeking it in a, in a much deeper way. And then going back to the practice that, that then feedbacks into the practice to, I think, help you get to a higher sort of level as well. Mm, yeah. And it's for me, it is important that everyone is there for a different reason. And I recognize that and that's okay. As a teacher, I just need to be able to cater and help them as they need. Mm. If they're there to learn the, learn the teaching process, I can provide that. But if they're, just learn to have, if they're there just to have a good experience, I can also provide that. With your, yeah, turning maybe a bit to like, yeah, your personal sort of uh, training history and what you worked through, what's been like the hardest thing that you've worked for or worked on to achieve? Oh, definitely my soft acrobatics. Yeah. So <laughs> my spine doesn't move very much. Even before I broke my back. So <laughs> I've always been very rigid. And then my torso, my ribs have been quite locked. My shoulder flexion is not fantastic. Um, and this is, uh, yeah, this is just my problem that I deal with. So I remember learning some basic acrobatics it took me eight months to get to achieve the final movement whereas these days i'm actually i'm very happy to be able to say that i can teach someone in a few classes to do those basic movements mm. and what was it about like acrobatics that kept you going right because you know it can be very frustrating especially when you're starting with you know nothing really happening what sort of made you keep on going like you know this is this is going to be it i'm going to keep on pursuing this I appreciate, I really appreciate the depth that you can take that sort of movement, that dance acrobatic elements to. Mm. I remember there's this, there's this acrobat that I love. And I remember watching this material when I was younger and I was like, man, that's insane. Just being able to put all these different pieces together and play with it and have that creativity and be playful in that, in that environment. Uh, and I always wanted to chase this feeling, you know, Mm-hmm. So that's what drew me to acrobatics is that you can be creative with it you can express yourself you can have your own style in it i guess yeah, yeah. and with your training as well looking back uh, on the history like what are some of maybe the biggest mistakes that you you think you've made throughout it um yeah your journey uh, not prioritizing recovery so i grinded through everything I grinded, I made bad patterns, made bad habits, 
I pushed through skills when I should have just backed away. Hmm. Yeah. So not recognizing when to stop and also not just, and not prioritizing good sleep. I think that's a very important thing. Good recovery is, can make an incredible difference to most individuals, I think. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, like, how do you approach this concept of like, auto-regulation um, as opposed to maybe, like, for always following, like, the structured program, right? Because maybe, you know, some programs as well is, like, taking the volume approach and you just got to do all this, like, volume, volume, volume. I guess, w- what do you recognize now in terms of when you've set, set yourself this sort of thing, but then what indicators do you look for to to then go, okay, maybe I need to back off and like not even do something today. Yeah. With programming, again, it comes back to the idea of making sure you understand the individual. Everyone requires something different. They may, two people may be responding well to the same program, but if one is sleeping less than the other, it's it's these little things you can think about. But uh, sorry, in, in terms of knowing in my own body, it's generally injuries, inflammation, and it's more of a hindsight, but you, you, when you are feeling tired and low energy. So that's generally when I know I am, mm-hmm. but I still can't act on it. In that, in that moment in time, I still push through like an idiot. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, in the heat of the moment, especially when you're feeling good and starting to get warmed up in a session, right? It's like, it's so easy just to be like, oh, just, you know, I'm feeling good now. I would just, just push a little bit more and just keep oh. on doing it. I guilt myself into it. I'm like, oh no, I can't be a lazy bastard. I gotta keep moving. I gotta keep doing it. Grind through. It's the only way I'll get better. But really, it's it's not optimal. It's not smart. Sometimes mm. it's better to auto-regulate. It's better to recognize when the movements are shitty, than just back off. Yeah, and sort of when that yeah. quality quality dips, right? Um, with with your students, like, how do you normally set up their training to incorporate? like strength and mobility training or other sort of physical attribute training with this other sort of like more groundwork, other, other areas of practice. So that sort of programming, it depends on the person. Obviously they have certain timeframes, certain levels, certain hours they can spend. Uh, I try to accommodate as much as I can for them. I try and create a structure that is achievable. Because there's no point giving someone high volume if they can't fit in more than one session a day. Mm. Yeah. So again, we had to communicate very effectively and make sure it's clear about the expectations. With how I divide it, it's generally in just little chunks of practices. For example, handstands in the morning and then strength work at nighttime. The next day it could be a bit of floor work followed by the hard acrobatics or sorry, the soft acrobatics. So again, it, I have to really work with the person to figure out what works best to suit them. Yeah. 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 Um, and with uh, sort of practices, do you have any other practices other than, um, the, the, than a physical practice that you align yourself to? I used to draw a lot. I used to be quite uh, into my art. And, but it turns out both physical practice and that artistic practice, you need to invest a lot of time in. Hmm. So I end up giving away my drawing practice and my art practice just so I can do 
spend more time moving. Yeah. It must, yeah, those sort of um, decisions I know are, are quite difficult, right? Like when you, when you recognize that you've only got time and energy for certain areas in your life, right? And start to invest more in one, you have to let go of another. Yeah, and it's, it's important to know, again, and be clear with what you want because some people may just end up trying to chase both and not really achieving anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that can lead to so much dissatisfaction. So I miss my art sometimes, but I know I'm very satisfied and happy with what I've achieved physically. Yeah, that's true, right? Because yeah, on the other side, if you sort of spread yourself thin, then you can't get the, maybe the sort of depth that is going to give you the satisfaction to, to really keep on going. Yeah. You know, like you can just dabble in so many things, right. But to, to do uh, like one thing correctly, that, that can take like a huge amount of time and energy. I think that's very true. Even when we come to the movement practice and this idea of movement training, Mm -hmm. if you dabble in so many things, you never really reach much depth with anything. Mm. Unless you've been doing it for decades. You've been doing movement training for decades, maybe. But for most people who've done movement training, I think it's, it's probably more rewarding and beneficial to really cultivate one or a couple of things to, of your practice as opposed mm. to trying to chase all these uh, arbitrary goals and ideas. Yeah, I like that. That's refreshing because I think sometimes like that whole generalist versus specialist thing gets a little bit misinterpreted, you know, like I think, you know, there's good, there's good meaning behind it, but maybe like, uh, like what you're saying as well, like it is, it is good to really dedicate yourself into certain areas so that you can really learn from them. Right. Like to, to reach that certain sort of depth, like, like do you, do you, when, when you've dabbled in, um, not dabbled or when you've studied like uh, certain areas, like, what sort of time period do you have you seen yourself go through before maybe stepping away and then moving on to something else? I would say years, definitely. Yeah. I think I would recommend many years for most people to look into something. That's when that's a good uh, period of time to get all that input, that feedback and delve into something effectively. Mm-hmm. So uh, what was it? I want to say, I lost, I lost track of my thought there. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I guess that can become yeah quite, quite scary then, right. For the, for the young movement practitioner moving into things because then it's like, Oh, you need years of this, years of this, years of this. <laughs> and then only then maybe you get more of a sense of going like, Oh, I've got, you know, I, I'm moving more towards this concept of like more generalized movement per se. Mm. Look, oh, 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 honestly, when I started with, when I started my journey, my movement journey, I just was interested in getting stronger and getting more mobile and working hard. That was my, that's what drove me. Mm. And lucky enough, I was able to be exposed to these other ideas, which helped with my teaching. But in the end, I was chasing something specific. And yeah. at what point did you find that sort of start to shift? The train itself or my, my own yeah, uh, like aspirations? What, what, your, your, your own aspirations when it started to move away from like those original goals of uh, getting strong and uh, that, that yeah. capability. So I, I do appreciate the idea of being exposed to many different experiences. 
but if you aren't exposing exposing them for long enough, it's not a very deep experience. Mm. Yeah. So I did. I chased strength for a long time, and I still do. Uh, I chased. I chased hand balancing. I chased my mobility for a long time, and then as a part of the online coaching, they started introducing some more locomotion stuff, acrobatic stuff. And by that time, I was pretty sufficient in my strength work. But because of the very fact I was exposed to the groundwork, it, I, have a, I had a new interest to chase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was incidental, I would say, at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. It sort of just maybe came at the right time, at the right moment. But uh, how, about, how about these days, like with your balance between, you know, the strength and the mobility practices and maybe like some of more of your dance um, or, or groundwork type practices, what's the kind of split in the ratio that you spend on each of these areas? I tried, I had the aspiration of trying to move on my hands every day, whether that mean, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, to move my, bo- move my body fully every day on my hands, dance, locomotion, groundwork, whatever it is. Something that's expressive and I can develop a little bit deeper. Because I've been injured or because I was injured, I had, um, these last few months I've been focusing on making sure I return to optimal health, functioning body. Uh, So my strength and mobility has been more so the focus the last couple of months. And how about in terms of like uh, partner work or um, working with a group, like how much of your, uh, how, how do you normally integrate like the, this sort of work into your practice? I've always been more of a lone wolf. I've always been more, I would say, uh, kept to myself and just grind away at the work by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, with how I do it these days, the only kind of partner work I have is when I dance with my partner or do some uh, partner acrobatics with, um, with another person, but generally it's, it's, it's an individual practice. Hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's an interesting one because I think of my, my own practice as well. And it's, I mean, a bit of the signs of the times as well, cause I'm just cooked up in my home all day, but it comes very individual and better. Yeah. I've, I've sort of started more recently really getting into uh, more interested into, yeah, this sort of like working with a partner and, and, and the group stuff um, type of work. And maybe like, maybe that's like the other side of all this, like online coaching or internet coaching, like it, it can become or end up getting quite solo potentially. Do you, yes, do you normally see definitely. that? Yeah, because you're working on your own thing. You have certain progressions. You have certain sets, reps to achieve. You have certain goals. Hmm. And again, if you're, doing, if you're being high volume programmed, like you don't have much time of the day. You just got to do what you got to do. Hmm. Right? That's understandable. One of the things I've always appreciated is team sports. I think team sports are fantastic to develop what people are looking for when they say they want to practice with a community. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's uh yeah that that's the challenge for maybe a lot of like the the the, the movement practitioners as well as like uh, in the end like are we also forming the culture in the community because yeah if we put all this volume onto ourselves as well we kind of just end up qu- quite like these crazy individuals just practicing like these very like self-absorbed self-focused programs right? Yeah, I mean I've been I've been to a movement jam. It's just people doing handstands. Some other guys doing ring work. Some other guys working on their own program. It's not very, it's not a jam really. <laughs> Whereas what I experienced with more stuff acrobatics at some point, meeting different circus performers, you get to really trade ideas. 
Mm. Yeah, because it's such a creative process. That's that's what also drew me into it. It's trying to learn, share, steal, improve, inspire these different combinations and different uh, uh, different ways of looking at the same move. Mm. Yeah, I love, I love yeah. that. It's like yeah, more of this collaboration process rather than oh, it's it's the best feeling. Yeah, mm. and uh, yeah, I guess um, are there any particular people at the moment that you look up for inspiration and you know, for, for research? Oh, <laughs> there's a few on, on Instagram is a, is a hell hole because you just find all these amazing people and then you just realize how shit you are. And then <laughs> you get all like angry and then you grind away and you come <laughs> back and you get angrier. It's loads. It's, yeah. Uh, what uh, I mentioned earlier, the acrobat, the first, one of the first acrobats I found was Louis West. Mm-hmm. He has a bunch of videos on YouTube. Uh, and his stuff is great. So look him up when you have the opportunity. He has a bunch of YouTube compilations. Mm-hmm. And I think I found his stuff way before movement culture. Yeah. And I remember being heavily inspired, like, wow, he just moves light. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of acrobats on Instagram I follow. I've met a few, a lot recently as well. And I just, I just like to watch their clips. And again, this idea of trying to take what they're doing and then play with it. Mm-hmm. It's funny that this feeling doesn't kind of escape you that, you know, even going deeper into the practice, you're, you, there's still always like those guys that are much more uh, like ahead of you within the level. And then you kind of go, ah, oh, like I need to work harder because yeah, especially like say my end of the spectrum more like big beginning into it, you know, I, I look up to maybe like pe- people like you, but then you again, like look up to like that, that next level. As you get better, that, it gets worse. <laughs> As you get better, you can't recognize, oh yeah, this, this, this. And then you, and you really acknowledge when someone knows their shit. Cause you know a little bit more, right? And then you don't even think about the people who are so good, but don't upload anything. Yeah. That's yeah. the scary thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, it's yeah. always frightening, man. It's such a big, it's such a big world. Uh, and it was, it was almost, uh, it knocked me back when I, I, I reached a point where I, I knew, or I just recognized there's so many good people out there. And like what I was doing was not that, not that deep. It's like that moment when you watch like a, a young girl do like a stole press or something and you're working towards it and it just like crushes your soul. <laughs> that's fine. She's, she's a small girl. That's, 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 that's easy. I can understand that. She's puny. But if it was like a, you see some other people like dudes, like just doing 10 stolders, like, ah, shit, this is bullshit. I can't do much. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so yeah maybe just to touch on like you know for the upcoming future i know you mentioned like that you wanted to get more into to workshops um is there any other sort of plans that you got going on in terms of like your teaching or other other areas no i, I right now i'm focusing on the online online coaching i'm trying to sh- also share the benefits that i received with other people i think it's a great way to build a relationship for some reason i find i've been able to teach more of what i want to teach via online than i have face to face and i just think the the 
online platform is probably just connecting people with in like-minded people and like-minded students. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very, um, it's a very unique pl platform, right? Because in person, you know, you're limited maybe just to the community of Perth, right? And, may and yeah, maybe, exactly right. And maybe just to the, the people that come to the places that you go to, but, um, I'm sure, like I don't know what are you finding in terms of online like where are the, where are the people coming from uh, all over the world yeah all over the world right now I mean my, my online community my online group is not that big yet so US I have people from Perth doing online coaching as well which is strange enough but uh, most most US and a couple in Europe I find and in Perth themselves in Perth it's saturated with a lot of different movement options Mm. and person a little bit spread out so people can't just go to what's closest yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not good enough to i'm not good enough to get people to come all the way to me yet <laughs> yeah, it's quite interesting what's happening over in perth like you know i i always look on and just go like wow like not only like the amount of facilities but then like the facilities themselves that i see there i'm just like wow it's it's amazing that there's that amount of investment over there um yeah just yeah i wonder like oh, what's going over there like why has it become this special sort of environment yeah there's just so many options and i think because purpose spread out it was probably easier to set up little hubs of it yeah so i think like i said before it's actually quite local like if you have one hub a lot of the neighborhood will go to that one hub mm. yeah they don't really strive out Perth's a bit far away from each other from um yeah the little hubs are always a little bit of distance that no one came by driving <laughs> well um anthony it's been a pleasure to to have you on and ask uh yeah ask you all these questions and have you share this knowledge um i guess for the people listening you know if they wanted to get in touch with you you know maybe they're interested in some coaching as well uh yeah what's the best way shoot me an email at hi at anthonytran.org otherwise you can message me on instagram it's an easy way to do it as well my plan, as you asked before, about what I want to do, I want to teach more workshops eventually. And when one day the world's ready for travel, then I will be hopefully going around organizing that. Now, for, for now, just trying to improve my online coaching. Uh, my classes are local if you're in Perth. But otherwise, yeah, just keep trying to be better while I do. Awesome. Well, yeah, really looking forward to those plans, how that, uh, you know, how that all sort of evolves, you know, would love to see you down here in Melbourne as well. So I'll, I'll keep an eye out and yeah, always keen to see how your practice uh, keeps on developing as well. So, you know, uh, just love what, what you share and yeah, hope you keep on um, sharing what you're, what you're learning. Thank you. But one day Melbourne will be open again, man. And I'll come visit. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I hope easy. so. And that's it for today. Thanks to Anthony for jumping on and having that chat. It was really great to dig more into his journey, his story, and also his insights around the practice. I know on his Instagram, you know, he's been sharing a lot of different flows, all that sort of great movement stuff, which is really attractive when you're first getting into this stuff. So it was really, really good to see where he's come from and his approach to teaching. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Remember, if you did, please share it with a friend, put it on your social, on your stories, and get the word out. It really helps me spread this podcast. And if you enjoy it, 
or want to get in touch, please send me a message. You can find me on Instagram. That's at P P H A O N P, And you can direct message me. Thanks once again, and I'll see you in the next episode.